0: In this moment, I acknowledge that one presence, that eternal life, and I call that God Spirit. It is the creating life, bringing all things into being, expressing love, Creativity, connection, having perfection in what it is, what it creates. And I know that because there's only this one, this one mind of God, this one body of God, creating all there is, that that is the truth of my being my nature, and it is the truth of all there is, of everyone, for everyone is it. And as my eyes witness what that spirit and that life, that one mind has created, I see myself. And I experience that love and that power that is eternal. That life of creativity that is all around me and it is living itself through everything and everyone including myself. And I'm so grateful for the peace that that brings knowing I am connected, inseparable from everyone and everything that exists. That that perfect harmony and the perfection of creation is life. And it is that life that is expressing through me and for me and for all. I am so grateful for knowing this truth this blessing of life, of what I am, and how it is living, a living spirit in all there is. And so I release this truth as I claim and know it is so good, letting this go to the law manifesting right here and now, and so it is.
1: So this month we're looking at um, the book called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, one of my absolute favorite books uh, to work with, and I want to start off with, well today we're going to be talking about In the Zone. He has four different zones that he talks about, we're going to talk about being in the zone. Want to be in the zone? I want to be in the zone. I want to start with a quote. It's the same quote that I used last week from Ernest Holmes. I'm probably going to use it all month long, just so we can really get it. Okay? We are surrounded by and immersed in an infinite good. How much of this is ours? All. Of ours. All of it. Capital letters, exclamation points in the book. And how much of it may we have to use? As, as much as we can embody. See, last night I was at a dinner. It was a pretty darn good dinner. Yes, it was. And there was a whole lot of food there. I couldn't embody it all. I didn't want to embody it all. Okay? But it's the same thing with this good. There's, there's this infinite banquet of good that we are living in. How much of it can we, can we use as much as we can truly embody, as much as we can truly make real for ourselves? So in The Big Leap, uh, last week I asked you if you were ready to be more of you, to be more fully you. And a lot of you said yes. And so what are you leaping into? What are we leaping into? We're leaping into what uh, Gay Hendricks calls our zone of genius. And we all operate in four zones. Got a slide for that. We all operate in four zones. The first zone is our zone of incompetence. Right. It's deliberately misspelled, by the way. I asked Ann not to correct that when she made the slide. Because originally I did a typo, and then I thought, that's a good idea on that one. So the zone of incompetence is all the things we're not good at. How many of you have some things you're not good at? Okay. But we try and do those things sometimes, don't we? Uh, Gay Hendricks in the book talks about a, a, uh, an executive friend of his who uh, charges $1,000 an hour for his consulting fee, $10,000 for a day, you know, full day consulting, right? And who he said was about as mechanically inclined as he, Gay, the author was, which is to say, not at all. But he spent 13 hours one weekend trying to install a new $1,000 computer on his, or, uh, printer on his home computer. 13 hours. Plus getting in a fight with his wife because he wasn't spending enough time with the family. And finally, in frustration, called a college kid who was in the neighborhood and asked him if he could help. And within an hour, the kid had it installed. He just spent $13,000 of time plus a fight with his wife, which they could have had a harmonious weekend instead, plus the $100 they forced upon the kid because the kid wasn't going to take any money. Because the the kid was operating in a zone of at least competence or excellence, right? Because the kid was good at that. We do this. We, We try to save a few bucks, as he said. And so we try to do these things that we're not really very good at. And the best thing we can do with those is to stay out of them. Get somebody else to do it right? See, I'm not good at repairing my car should it need it or, or, or any of that stuff. Despite the fact that in my first year of college I was an automotive major, there's been so much changed about cars. that I'm not, I haven't kept up with it. I'm not any good at it. If I tried to work on my car today, it would be a lot worse off when I finished than when I started. <laughs> so I send it off to somebody else and pay them the money to do that. It's okay, when, uh, the, the only time it's okay to do what you're not good at is if you're trying to get better at something. You want to learn how to ski, you've never skied. The first time you ski, you'll be in your zone of incompetence, right? Guarantee it. <laughs> Guarantee it. But if it's your intention to get better at skiing, you have to go through that period. Okay. The second one, then, is our zone of competence. This is doing what we're competent at, but almost everybody else is too, or lots of other people. I tend to do this. I tend to stick my nose in, in some of the council business that, and, and try and organize certain events and kind of you know, do stuff that really isn't mine to do. I learned that as a hard lesson last year. And I finally said, wait, what am I doing? This is not mine. So we can spend far too much energy doing what we're, we're, we're okay at, but we can let others handle it instead. I have a house cleaner who comes every couple of weeks, Right? Now I can clean my house, I really can clean my house. I, I know there's a rumor that men can't, and bachelors especially can't, but I can, and I have. But I have this housekeeper come in, so for the three hours that she's there cleaning up my house, I'm working on my computer, I'm doing church stuff, I'm doing you know, what's something that's more fun for me to do than scrubbing toilets and showers and, and you know, vacuuming and all that stuff, okay? So that's the zone of competence. You're good at it, but so is everybody else. Again, we can spend far too much energy and time in that. And then we don't spend time in our upper levels. The next one is our zone of excellence. And this is the activities that you do extremely well. You oftentimes make a good living in this zone. But it can be a seductive trap. It's where our addiction to comfort wants us to stay. It's where our friends and our family and our organization want us to stay. You know, when Reverend Kerry said, you know, a a month or two ago that she was moving back to California following her heart and doing that as both a friend and as the organization representative, I was like, no! (laughs) Fortunately, I've come to peace with that, mostly. We've hired another very wonderful administrative assistant. who Who took the wheel this week on her own, by the way. So in this zone, you're reliable, you're steady. You're stable there. But your soul is withering and dying. Your soul is withering and dying. When I was... Up in Seattle, I used to um, facilitate something called the employment ministry, which is for people who were in work transition. And a lot of those were people who had lost their jobs or, you know, doing something like that. But every once in a while, I would get somebody come through, and and after the session was over, they kind of pull me aside and say, the truth is I make a good six-figure income, but my soul is dying doing it, and I need to figure a way out of it. And that's why I'm here. Because eventually the money doesn't matter. When the soul keeps calling, the money doesn't matter. My friend Tama Keeves was a Harvard-trained lawyer, landed a job at a very good law firm in in Denver, but realized after about a year and a half that she hated it. Monday was the worst day of her life because she'd have to go back to work and eventually her body started to show it and, and her lack of sleep started to show it and her therapist started to call her out on it. And all sorts of things. She finally said, what I really want to do is write books. I want to be a writer. And so she walked away from the law firm, ended up wait- waitressing tables for a while as she started to pull together her writing. And she said it was really hard to go through that phase because she watched all of her friends from law school going with their incomes and their positions and their prestige going up like that. And here she was like that, seemingly. Seemingly. Today, she's a speaker who, who is in demand around the country, around the world, actually, who has, I think, three or four published books out uh, and, and is loving, truly loving what she's doing. Is she making as much as she was an extremely highly paid lawyer? Probably not, but she makes a good income and she's much happier. And that is what we call our zone of genius. That is ultimately the only place that we will thrive and feel deep satisfaction is in that zone of genius. And the zone of genius is where you liberate, you free up your gifts and you start to share them with the world. Because we all have these gifts, right? You know, it's like the, the caterpillar that has the imaginal cells of the butterfly within it. We all, even if we have to dissolve who we are as caterpillars, have, you know, have this butterfly within us, this zone of genius, this real reason that we came here. And most of us know to some degree, at least in, in, to some level, what what that is or something that points us in that way. When you said yes last week to being more fully you, you were saying yes to living more fully in your zone of genius, into being in that space of your heart expressing, your authentic self expressing, your powerful self expressing. It's been what's calling for you for most of your life. Reverend Carey is going to talk about being in the zone of genius in two weeks And she's already excited about that. She's told me she's excited about that. She loves this book, too. But this zone of genius will totally excite you. And then it will totally terrify you. (laughs) Right? Because it picks you up, and it slams you up against what we call the upper limit problem, which is how much good can I let in my life? So let's look at that upper limit problem and how to solve it. I'm going to start with a quote from Gay Hendricks. He said, "By its very, by its very nature, the upper limit problem." By the way, the upper limit problem for those who weren't here last week is the lid you have on how high you can jump and how much good you can have and how much happiness you can have in your life. We all have a thermostat; it's set, and if we if we if we try uh, try to exceed that, we'll do something to undermine that, and we'll look at that in a few minutes. How much happiness can we take? By the way, you can reset your thermostat, but most of us aren't aware of it, and we keep wondering why. You know, we keep kind of going like this. Last week I talked about training a flea circus, which is where you get a bunch of fleas in a jar, they bang their head, they can jump out of the jar, but you put a lid on it, they bang themselves against that lid enough times that after a while they'll only jump this high, and then you can take the lid off. It's the same thing with how Indians, the people in India train elephants, and other things like that. Huh? They train them in jars, yeah. Aren't you supposed to be in silent contemplation? (laughs) (laughs) By its very nature, the upper limit problem is unsolvable in our ordinary state of consciousness. If we could solve it that way, we would have long ago. Solving the upper limit problem is only possible by a leap of consciousness. The upper limit problem must be dissolved, not solved. So to more clearly understand that, I want to Take a look at what we talked about a month ago, last, in the last month, um, and we've got a slide for this. We looked at the eight myths and spells and clouds that affect almost all of us, and most of them we learn by the age of six. So where I'm at. So the two core foundational beliefs of this process are, number one, I am separate from life, and number two, life is dangerous. Remember, we're talking about six-year-old and unders having this consciousness, Okay. From these, we develop three operating principles. First, I must control life. If I'm separate from life and it's dangerous, I got to do what? Control it, man. And I do that by, number two, doing it right. Doing whatever I'm doing, whatever it is, I do it right. And number three, I find out that after a while that doesn't work, and so my operating principle then is I'm not doing it right enough. Can anybody relate? Breathe. This generates in our three secret fears. The first one is, I am wrong. It's not, I'm doing it wrong anymore. It's because I'm not able to control life, because I'm still experiencing pain. See, life is joyous and loving and, and free and wonderful, and it's also violent, and there's painful, and there's death. All of that is life, yes? You've noticed this, Right. Part of us wants this nice, happy, happy, joy, joy, never stub my toe sort of life. It's much more comfortable. But that's not how life itself operates. So we get this belief that I am wrong because I can't control life. And number two, therefore, I am unlovable. And out of that comes a sense of I am alone. And all of this is based on those two false foundations. But this is the belief system that almost all of us, to some degree or another, operate under. Breathe. So moving back to the big leap. By the way, the way out of this is to start to become curious about those Beliefs and to notice when they operate which is what we're going to do with with these also So moving back to the big leap We look at the false foundation on which the upper limit problem is ba- built Which is also very similar the four hidden barriers the next slide for that so we have four hidden barriers First we feel fundamentally flawed or wrong So if we believed as young children that we couldn't control life and therefore I am wrong something's wrong with me We're going to have this operating in our lives, right? Right? Yes? Okay. Keep breathing. We assume there's something deeply wrong with us. And our belief system tells us, I can't live in my zone of genius. I can't be truly happy and fulfilled because something is fundamentally wrong with me. My variation on that, by the way, that I realized was something completely unknowable that all you, everybody else out there knows is wrong with me. You can see it, but I can't see it, is wrong with me. I have lots of divorces and broken relationships and messed up jobs and, and life, you know, life experiences to prove that. I'm right. Remember, I like to be right. But it's not true. So with this operating, if you get too happy, you will pull yourself back down. Or you will never try in the first place because why bother to go for absolute success because I'm already messed up. By the way, we're gonna, as we move on to these, you can have more than one barrier operating. So this is not a case of trying to figure out which one is me. It's a case of, do I relate to this one? Do I relate to that one? Do I relate? I, have, I relate to all four of the barriers, by the way. The second one is known as disloyalty and abandonment. And it goes like this. If I am fully successful, I would end up alone, be disloyal to my family roots, and be, leave behind people from my past. If I really go for what I want, I'm gonna upset my family, I'm going to lose friends that I had forever. Those of you who have, have seen Prosperity Plus Two or taken that class, you remember that uh, Matt talks about that if he really got successful at sales, that what he was doing, he was afraid that he would lose his drinking buddies, his, buddy, his friends, who were not on the same path to be that successful. So two questions to ask with this one. Number one, if I am wildly and joyfully successful, will it break my family's spoken or unspoken rules? Will it break my family's spoken and even more importantly, unspoken rules? If you're a gay person who's come out of the closet, you have had to face this. Some of you, if you acknowledge that you're a religious scientist in your family, that you attended the Center for Spiritual Living instead of the Christian church that you grew up in, you have to face this. Or the Hindu church, or, you know, like, temple, or whatever. I have a couple of friends in Seattle who had to break it to their Hindu families that they were no longer Hindu, that they were religious scientists. So it can be the same. Anytime that we break our family's pattern, we run up against this. And then the second question is, even though I am successful doing what I love, Did I fail to meet my parents' expectations? I may be a successful songwriter, but my parents wanted me to be a coal miner because my grandpa was a coal miner, my papa was a coal miner, and I should be a coal miner. That's the kind of family history we're talking about. And the guilt of this will make you put on the brakes It will keep you from success or from fully enjoying the success that you have. Take a breath. And again, just notice if you relate to some of this. Number three, believing that more success brings a bigger burden. This can work in two ways. First, if you grew up in a household where being invisible, keeping your head down, keeping out of sight was your survival strategy. Anybody besides me relate to that? Okay. And or or you felt like a burden or you were in the way. You were an unwanted child perhaps or you were just in, in the way then being successful will just make you more exposed or more of a burden. You don't wanna, if if your strategy is to stay low and invisible, you don't wanna be wildly successful and happy because that shows, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, what's the phrase that, the farther up the flagpole you go, the more of your rear end you expose? (laughs) There's a different word for rear end that is used. It's where Lonely at the Cop comes from, all this. You'll be exposed for all that, or you'll be a burden. And then the second way is believing that success itself is a burden. And this stems from the false belief that success equals hard work and pain and suffering. How many of us have heard that belief in our lives? Hard work equals you know, pain and suffering and, and, you know, or success equals that. Bill Gates did not work 40 billion times harder than the person who makes a dollar an hour. Right? It has nothing to do with hard work or pain or suffering. Living in our zone of genius actually leaves us more fulfilled. One of my zone of genius activities that I love to do is is when I do practitioner sessions with people, counseling sessions, spiritual counseling sessions with people, and I always walk out feeling more enlivened. When I was a practitioner up in Seattle, we used to do what we called um, mini-sessions, and we'd spend um three or four hours just seeing clients in little 15 to 20 minutes uh, uh sessions for that. And I noticed that a couple of, of practitioners would walk out, oh I'm so tired. And I'd walk out going, I feel fabulous. Because I've just been doing prayer and treatment for for all these people and, and each one just builds me up. That's a zone of genius. When you walk out feeling more fulfilled, more happy, and you're sitting there going, it's it's more wonderful. I feel better for having done that. It's not work anymore, it's play. It's doing what is yours to do. And then the fourth barrier is the crime of outshining. And what this sounds like is I must not uh, expand to my full success because if I did, I would outshine, fill in the blank, and make him, her, or them look or feel bad. This can be a parent or your parents. This can be your family. This can be a sibling. This can be a friend. This can be the world. How dare I drive around in a car that I love to drive around in while there are people who are homeless or living in poverty or stuff like that? How dare I have a happy life when others aren't? That's this, the crime of outshining. That's to keep a lid on it. Don't don't enjoy life too much because there are people suffering out there. You remember when you were growing up, it's like eat your peas because of, think of the poor starving children in India, yeah? We dumb down or we turn down our brilliance so we don't offend others. My second wife grew up uh, when she was in, in later grade school in uh, a, a smaller town in Utah, an almost entirely Mormon town and they weren't Mormons. And she talked about one time that she was doing a project uh, for school and she really put her you know, her heart and soul into this product, project and really did, a, did it wonderfully. And afterwards, the teacher held her, her thing up and to everybody else and said, the way that, that she did it is the way that you should all be doing it. Look at this. This is wonderful. At lunchtime that day, a group of kids shoved her off the playground and out into the street in front of a moving car. Which is, if I shine, I'll die. The car swerved and avoided her, by the way. But that's what they did. They moved her to a different school after that. Okay? But that's what happens to us, and we learn very early on don't shine too much. If I'm the bright child in the family and I've got a less bright child also in the family, don't make them feel bad. If my family is only at this level and I want to be at this level and really flowing, don't do that because it'll make them feel bad. So that's that one. And again, I'll remind you, we can have more than one barrier. So take a breath. Just notice which one or ones you've related to. So this week, I'm going to invite you to do three spiritual practices. Number one is pay attention. Pay attention as you're going along to what's happening and how you're feeling. Notice if you catch yourself turning the, the wick down on your, on your brilliance. You know, I, I shared um, last week of, of having a moment where I was driving from Clarkson, Washington up to Moscow, Idaho when I lived there. Beautiful day, I was, having, I was feeling great and all of a sudden started having an argument with my ex-wife who was not there. That's a way of, it's too good, I'm feeling too happy, take it down. But fortunately, I had read this book, and I knew what was going on. And I said, the heck with that. I did a forgiveness process for her, I did a forgiveness process for me. And then I went and consciously, and this is our next practice, I consciously said, how much happier can I be? And so I took in more and more. And so that's the second part of this. Is, is the first part is pay attention. Notice where and when these patterns are at work in your life. Just notice that. And then secondly, face them with truth. Face them with the truth. They're false. They're false beliefs. And thirdly, then dial up the volume on your happiness even more. How much more can you stand? Raise your upper limit of joy and success by spending more time in your zone of genius. Are you good with doing that this week?